We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Chargers Analytics with Arjun. I got a really special interview here today. We are finally meeting with salary cap guru on Twitter, Brad Spielberger, aka PFF Brad, who is now my co-worker since I have joined as a football research intern at PFF. Brad is kind of handling all of the salary cap stuff over at PFF. And if you follow him on Twitter, you know he's always on top of all of the salary cap extensions, restructures and keeping up with any injuries that have gone on in the NFL currently. So Brad, thank you for joining me. How are you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yes, my, my, our newest coworker, um, uh, a Michigan man, um, which I didn't go to Michigan, but a uh, big fan. So go blue. Uh, yeah. yeah go thanks blue. again for uh, having me on. Yeah. So Brad, let's just, let's jump straight into it. The Chargers, very exciting team, obviously, like a lot of people have jumped on this Chargers quote unquote bandwagon this off season, right? Got a young quarterback ascending or what people a lot of the fans the media the analysts think an ascending quarterback on a rookie deal I mean this has got to be one of the most enviable enviable spots for any team to be in right like the Chargers have a quarterback on a rookie deal and now they have a lot of their stars locked up so you know one of the things that a lot of Charger fans have been you know mad about Telesco about is like they're not aggressive enough when it comes to free agency and when it comes to trades and you know now that they have this young quarterback on a rookie deal how aggressive do you think they should be going into his years three four and five of his rookie deal yeah so this this entering year three has recently been kind of the target year for when teams go all in a little bit uh this offseason that would be the cardinals with kyler murray and the giants with daniel jones and neither of those guys has probably shown as much as herbert has albeit a small sample size and we obviously want to see some more good play but both of those teams spent a ton of money in free agency um, and, and that, you know, that happened the, the offseason prior with the 2018 class. The Bills obviously trade for Stephon Diggs. The Browns make a bunch of moves. The, the Ravens, you know, load up on defense, so on and so forth. So that has been the, the, the trend. And I think if Herbert continues like he did last year, then I think then, you know, your fans will see some more spending in free agency. Um, and, and the Chargers are in a good health, healthy cap situation to where they can afford to do so. Yeah, 100%. And like, I think... Uh, they have like the sixth most money going into next year in terms of like carryover cap. Um, obviously, there's a couple, there were a couple of free agents go, uh, going into training camp that 
made some sense in terms of fit, like a Malik Cooker at safety, given like we kind of have like a lack of depth at safety right now. But, you know, Tom Telesco has generally been pretty conservative when it comes to spending. And But, yeah, you bring up a great point. Year three is pretty much the year that it seems like a lot of teams go all in. Um, let's transition a little bit to the draft. You know, the, the 2020 draft, 2021 draft, um, it seems like a lot of people love how the Chargers operated. But I think one of the things that people don't, didn't really talk a lot about was, you know, the Chargers were the only team who didn't make a single trade in the 2021 draft. And in fact, like they've actually never traded down in Telesco's entire tenure. And here in the analytics community at PFF, we always encourage trading down because accumulating more picks means you have a higher chance to hit on players on a very cheap deal. So, you know, what kind of, what kind of takeaways do you have from not trading down, not trading at all in this draft and then not trading down at all in Telesco's tenure? Yeah, so this year, I think they did benefit that the board fell really well. Rashawn Slater at 13 was probably there goal the entire time. I wouldn't be surprised if they were exploring trading up if they needed to, yeah. maybe with, you know, in kind of eight, seven, eight range of those teams that were considering moving down. Um, and then, of course, you know, Asante Samuel, I think, also fell to them really nicely in the second round. And Josh Palmer, uh, again, in the third round, I think, also fell very well. But the, the general issue with, with, with not maneuvering in the draft is that you might get too tethered to your board. And, and I think when I see teams that never move, it, to me, it signals that you're not confident that you know a good player to take at every spot in the draft. And by that, I mean, you're basically setting your board and you're scouting and you're saying, okay, who's the cluster of guys that we're comfortable taking at 13? Okay, that's that cluster. Who's the cluster at 37? You know, Santa Samuel, so on and so forth. Whereas teams that maneuver, whether it be up or down, they have an understanding of value and what they, they think is value and edges to exploit literally for all 250, 59 picks in the draft. So yeah. it does signal that a little bit um, in terms of just avoiding trades altogether. And then, yeah, as for only moving up and not moving down, first, they move up early too. Like their five trades up have all been in the top 75 picks. Yeah. Um, and to quickly run through the names, Brandon Taylor, who played four games in his career, Manti Teo, not a great career as a charger. Jeremiah Atocho, solid edge rusher, like a rotational player. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, Melvin Gordon, fine as a charger, but trading up in the first round for running back. And then, of course, Kenneth Murray. So it's trading <laughs> up for non-premium positions yeah. high in the draft. Those are just going to be minus expected value moves. So long story short, not the best strategy as, as, as has been proven over time. At least they don't trade up, trade up a ton. Um, they just have done it, you know, here and there. But yeah, you're just missing out on, on potential value by not fitting down at least every once in a while. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I was wondering, like, this is a little bit off the off our off the question, but you know, when you brought up the idea of of having this cluster of players, do you think you know COVID kind of impacted that because you have less players you're confident about, so you'd rather stick and pick, or you know, you're not willing to move back because you don't have that same a large amount of cluster of players that you would normally have in like a non-COVID year where you have more film, you have more interviews with players and things of that nature. Uh, that, was a, that was a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and I think it also just, it's going to lead to reaches, right? Like you're, you're yeah. going to then reach and take a player that you maybe didn't need to take at that spot, but because you don't, you know, operate the phone lines and, and potentially maneuver. And like you said, it's, it's exacerbated 100% by, you know, the, the less knowledge of the marketplace, you know, what because of COVID, there's no combine, all those things. Yeah, my bad. But yes, 100%. Yeah. We're, we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Now we are. Right. Yeah, sweet. So if we stick with, if we're sticking with the idea of trades, you know, there was, there's a lot of, there's a lot of players who, you know, who've kind of gone 
um, what's the term, like who've kind of asked for a trade from their teams, you know, namely guys like Xavier Howard, JJ Watt, Chandler Jones, Orlando Brown, Julio Jones, right? These are guys that are premium players at their position and they've asked for a trade. And, you know, I think with every single one, there's a point where a Charger fan is like, you know, the Chargers should be in this one. Even with the Julio Jones, we have a pretty solid receiving group, right? Like we're paying Keenan and Mike upwards of like 26, 27 mil this this season. But, we, you know, people still want to explore this Julio trade. And do you think, you know, with guys that are aging, like a Julio Jones or like a JJ Watt, are there smart ways to approach how you how you trade for these players? And do you think, in your opinion, that the Chargers should have been in on the sweepstakes given the the makeup of the roster right now? Trading for veterans is a, is a risky proposition every time. And the one area where you can get value is if you trade for a guy who still has some rookie contract years left on his deal. You mentioned Orlando Brown. That's not the case, obviously, for Julio Jones, for a Xavier Howard, for a J.J. Watt. I'm not going to say, like, you can't win a trade like that or, or you shouldn't ever explore a trade like that. But the odds that you, you know, in, in retrospect, you look back and say, we won this trade or it was good value are pretty low. Um, yeah. Because also the player still has leverage where they're going to ask for maybe more guarantees or more actual cash um, because, they, you know, you've created leverage by investing in them a little bit. So if I, you know, I understand Chargers fans, you want to push, push the chips in. Obviously, Julio Jones and Keenan Allen and, you know, and Mike Williams would be a phenomenal <laughs> thing to, to experience, but I don't think you should hold that against them at all. And then with Orlando Brown, obviously, he comes to the division. Like I said, he has, you know, one last cheap year, but ton of leverage now in Kansas City. He's probably going to ask for, you know, potentially 20 plus million dollars yeah. per year because he wants to be a left tackle. Um, it, it's not it, it's rarely a winning proposition. I mean, we, we all talk about it. And then we look at Jamal Adams this offseason is tough. Frank Clark trade did not work out for Kansas City. Yeah. We can go down the list. There have been some good, some bad. Um, but I think building through draft and develop in general is the smart approach. There are just some other ways to maybe add value or some smaller moves to make. Um, but I wouldn't hold it against the Chargers if they didn't you know, make one of these big blockbuster trades. Yeah, no, totally. And I think Telesco has always preached that drafting and developing players and then re-signing them has always been how he wants to operate. Um, obviously, there's some exceptions to the rule, Hunter Henry, leaving. I think the Chargers just, just got out, out priced there. I also think in that case, the Patriots overpaid, but obviously that's a, a discussion for another time, probably earlier this offseason. There was a ton of discussions about that. Um, so if we if we stick on the the theme of Telesco and talking about how he operates, you know, in, in theory, he's like a cons- more of a conservative GM. We already talked about how he doesn't trade very often. And if he does, he's trading up. But the way he operates with the salary cap, I think is is one of his strong suits in the fact that he rarely has a team in a singular singular year that has a lot of dead money. Like the Chargers went into this offseason with the least amount of dead cap allocated to their players. Um, and, you know, when they traded for a guy like Trey Turner, they had to they were able to cut him with with zero dead money to their uh, salary cap. So, you know, is there and then we but I wanted to talk to you about like if we look at guys like Mickey Loomis in New Orleans and Howie Roseman in Philadelphia, where it seems like every offseason they're consistently restructuring contracts to prorate money future down like down the future do you think there's a disadvantage or an advantage to the way that both of these type of gms operate where you're either uber conservative like telesco or you're super aggressive to the point where you're just keep you keep pushing money down the line into the future yeah so you know the 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 pay as you go model versus the you know kind of let's, let's spend more cash than cap and figure things out and essentially 
you know, push those obligations down and use the cap increase to kind of, you know, absorb some of that, that money. You know, there, there's, there's merit to both approaches. I think if you want to be competitive and if you want to attack a quote unquote window, which, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really ascribe to the theory that there's like windows where you could win. Um, you know, the NFL is too random. You never know injuries, all those things that could happen. Um, obviously the rookie contract for a quarterback, I think that's one like real window, but anyways, yeah, here's the thing. It might be annoying. It might be tough in the, in the present to see Telesco not do some of that and maybe add more talent to the roster. We've made a big hoopla all offseason about how the Buccaneers were able to bring back their entire Super Bowl roster. The reason that was able, they were able to do that is because they had what we call a proration ratio, which is money tied up in signing bonus and prorated bonus versus just salary guarantees. The Buccaneers yeah. had the lowest proration ratio in the NFL for years by a considerable margin. They had no money pushed into the future and everything was kind of pay as you go. Now they've flipped that script and they've been able to push a ton of money down the line to keep everyone on the roster. You can't do the inverse of that. You can't be a, pay, you can't be a, you know, a Saints Mickey Loomis team and then kind of like undo that and unravel that. So the Chargers, again, I would say this, if let's say Herbert's really good this year and they still stick to this model, then I think, yeah, you can knock them and say, why are you not spending more cash than the actual cap? which quick aside, that might be the owner more than GM. So it'd be kind of hard yeah. to hold that against Telesco, but, but mm -hmm. still, I think there's more merit in that kind of, you know, your grievance from fans. Um, but for the most part, it, it is a safer approach. And, and, you know, if he's a conservative GM, it, it enables him to, when the timing is right to then be more aggressive. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's, that's another point that people don't really talk about enough. I think since the chargers are moving to LA, they had to build SoFi pretty much from, um, the Spanos families and Stan Kroenke's like bank account, you know, it's not like they're, you know, flowing in cash, especially since they just invested in this new stadium. So, you know, prorating money down the future where you're paying all this money up front in salary in salary bonuses, isn't really the easiest thing to do when you just built a new stadium. So great point there. Um, let's transition a little bit. You know, I put out, I put out an article about Derwin James and I, in my opinion, unbiased opinion, obviously uh, he's one of the best, if not the best safety in the game, but obviously, with all the injuries he suffered, it's kind of hard to really judge his value. It's similar to what Tyron Matthew was going through in his early years in Arizona. So given that Derwin James is one of the best safeties in the league, but can't stay healthy, at what point do the Chargers start extension talks, if at all? Or do you think he just plays out five years and then you go from there? It's a great question. And I think there's there's components and factors to it that are outside of just Derwin James and the Chargers. But First and foremost, yeah, I think you want to see a full season of health. Um, you know, he's had health question marks dating back to the draft. And the reason the Chargers were able to get him at was 17th overall in the first yeah. place, yeah. Um, you know, was because of that. And so you knew that coming in and it's still worth the risk because I, I also agree with you unbiased. He's one of the best, if not the best safeties out there. So at that, regardless, I still think this is where the market comes in. I still think you, you wait and you go year by year because the safety market is so dormant right now and has been struggling to grow for the last several years. Um, and yes, there should be an extension coming for Jamal Adams that will kind of push that ceiling up a little bit, but you're not really missing out where, where if I thought like, look, like if they don't sign him now, then he's going to cost, you know, 1.0 X times what, what he's going to call. Like, it's not going to get that bad. It's not like a quarterback where you don't pay the guy this off season, then he's going to be worth, you know, 5 million more dollars yeah. per year. So because of that reason and the health, I think, yes, you play out this year, 
look, if he's healthy for 17 games and is a superstar and is a first-team All-Pro and you have no you know, health question marks, maybe you extend him before the fifth-year option, which would be perfectly normal. If not, though, there's no reason not to go fifth-year option, maybe even explore franchise tag. And I know okay. this isn't super player-friendly, and obviously it's tough for a really talented player, but from the club side, from the club perspective, I mean, you have to protect yourself as well. Mm-hmm. And you got to see some healthy, consistently healthy play from him. Yeah, NFL is a business at the end of the day. Um, so as much as every Charger fan, and I'm sure every front office uh, executive in LA loves Derwin James, you know, that's a great point that you kind of take a year by year. Um, if we transition a little bit to, to Justin Herbert, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest storyline of this NFL offseason, uh, the Aaron Rodgers situation in Green Bay and how he's not, he feels like he's not being treated like a Tom Brady is in Tampa Bay or how Mahomes is obviously being treated in Kansas City where they, they went and drafted and signed a bunch of O-linemen. You know, to what extent do the Chargers have to go to keep Justin Herbert happy so there's no Russell Wilson or there's no Aaron Rodgers situation going into, you know, contract talks or going into like future seasons? This is a bit off, like probably what you expected, but um, first and foremost, honestly, I I think that the Chargers need to worry about a lot of non-football things. Um, I mean, you can't have a Tyrod Taylor situation happen again. Um, Yeah. Like like, like seriously though, like you need to have good facilities, you need to have good support staff, equipment guys, like it goes down the whole line. I think that stuff matters a lot more than people think about. But beyond that, of course, also – He's obviously still early in his career. Like the fact that we're talking about this, yeah, it was it was totally a you know an offseason storyline. Um, but I think you know the Chargers might be like, yeah, give us ten years of good play, and then you can have you know gripes <laughs> about our roster construction. Yeah. But I do think they probably realize like we cannot trot this guy out with the offensive line we had last year. Um, you know, thirtieth ranked pass blocking per PFF, thirty second, you know, dead last in run blocking per PFF. So that was inexcusable. That cannot happen again. But like you know, they obviously went crazy. Not crazy, but, you know, they added a proven veteran center. They, they made him at the time the highest paid center in the NFL in Corey Lindsley and landed a stud blue chip left tackle in Rashawn Slater. So for now, at least that should that should keep him happy. Um, and then, you know, they can revisit that again going forward. But it, it's important to always think about um, and consider. But, you know, respecting him as a person, um, you know, I think will go a long way. And, and he also seems like a, like a really like, you know, smart, kind of intuitive, intelligent guy that that thinks about a lot of non-football things as well. Yeah. Um, and I think they, you know, both sides appreciate that, and that, that will matter as well. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, so if we transition a little bit and we talk about something that I don't think a lot of Charger fans really talk about a lot just because it's not like something that's you know a general topic. But if we transition into com- uh, compensatory picks, and here at PFF, you know, we, have a, we have a really good connection with guys at Over the Cap. Um, and per Over the Cap, the Chargers are slated to have around four comp picks for 2022. Um, I was wondering if you could go into detail about how, you know, teams like the Ravens and the Patriots have kind of built their teams around compensatory picks and how they've had sustained success over this like past decade using a lot of compensatory picks that they've gained from letting high priced free agents like, you know, in this past year, Yannick Ngakwe and Matthew Judon leaving free agency. Yeah, so just like a quick high level for folks that don't know, just to, you know, at the bare bones, it's basically, if you lose more free agents than you add, um, then you get these kind of additional free draft picks called compensatory draft picks that come at the end of the third through seventh rounds based on the contract values of the free agents. So, yeah, so they are super valuable, um, not only because the pick itself, but I think also because, again, what it indicates 
And so, yeah, the Patriots and the Ravens are two teams that have been, you know, exploiting this, not going to call it a loophole, but exploiting <laughs> this value yeah. for so long. Um, because, you know, but you also, you're saving the money by not paying the guy, of course. Um, and then you can, you can spend that elsewhere and you get this free draft pick. So, um, I mean, the Ravens have earned the most in the NFL since they were initiated in 1994. You, you mentioned the edge rushers this year. They also let Zadarius Smith go. Um, yeah. You know, to, to Green Bay on a monster deal. They got a third round compensatory pick for him. And so it's A, the fact that you're not spending and you're gaining free draft picks. And then all the, also the money you save, you can spend on kind of cheaper free agents, kind of mid, middle tier or second wave free agents. And well, like, like, kind of a, a common thing we say is like, you don't really win in free agency. It's pretty hard to win in free agency. And so yeah. if you do stick to the draft and develop, and if you're able to draft more players because you're getting these additional picks, um, you know, it, it makes it easier to build out a good roster. And at the end of the day, the, the beauty of a, of a rookie draft pick nowadays is the surplus value of that contract. So mm-hmm. hitting on one of these picks is worth so much because they're then under contract for four years at a value well below what they're actually worth. And you can also spend that excess, excess money, you know, on other players and things of that nature. So, yeah, I mean, the Ravens have put on a master class. Um, it's good the Chargers are now in position to, you know, land four of them. They are all later in the draft. I think it's all six or like or seven. rounders. Yeah. 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 Um, but, hey, it all helps. And, and, and yeah. look, maybe also we, we talk about trading up and not really doing it. But I actually don't have an issue or, or data. Data does not have as much of an issue. You know, I wrote a book on this. And trading up late in the draft is a bit more excusable. Like the value of a sixth and seventh round pick is pretty darn low. And so you, know, yeah. you don't want to do it all the time. You do want more dart throws. But. If you gain four extra six-round picks, there's no issue trading up in the fourth or trading up in the fifth with, you know, two of those picks. Like, what's what's so wrong with that, um, you know, if, if you're smart and, and kind of prudent otherwise? So, yeah, they're, they're a great resource for, for smart teams. Yeah, 100%. So, let's jump back to Justin Herbert. So, the biggest storyline regarding, I think, the Chargers – in general, has been this whole Justin Herbert regression train. I'm not going to go too much into the data behind it. You know, there's there's arguments to both sides, but let's let's just say he has that sophomore slump, like a Baker Mayfield or a Dak Prescott, right? And it, you know, at that point, quarterbacks are allowed to start negotiating deals after their third year, right? So this this would technically this is going to be a second year. If he slumps, going to his third year, and you're kind of in this like uncertainty phase of whether he's a franchise quarterback or not. You know, when we get to the point in, say, 2020, it would be 2023, the, that offseason, or even 2024, you know, is it worth for the Chargers to, to shell out, like, let's say, top 10 quarterback money to a guy that, you know, may at best be an above average quarterback, although I don't think he would be, say he does get to that stage where at best he's like a Kirk Cousins or he's, you know, like a, like a Baker Mayfield, what he is right now. Do you think it's worth to pay that kind of money for – a non-elite quarterback so for for salary cap nerds and contract nerds like myself like this is the biggest I think the most interesting question of this current offseason and you mentioned Baker Mayfield and I think Josh Allen and the Bills are in the same position and to a minor extent I I think the Ravens and and Lamar Jackson maybe are as well um, where the the, historically the, the trend has been after the third year like you said the first year you're allowed to extend Usually you pick up that fifth year option, but you still go ahead and just extend the guy at top of market money, you know, in the, within the top 10, pretty much every single time. And for the longest time, the thinking was, look, at the quarterback market, it's going to go up every single year. It's totally bulletproof. If you don't take advantage of it now and you wait another year, 
then you're going to have to pay the guy a bunch more money and, and, and your owner is going to be pissed at you and you're going to, you know, waste yeah. all this potential. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's part of it. Um, and also beyond that too, you know, from the owner perspective, you've already invested the first, you know, the, the, the first round pick, you've invested all this, you know, money in this player and this investment, you know, and everything. So why not just go ahead and do it, make sure he's your guy for X number of years. But with the Carson Wentz and Jared Goff situations that we've seen, you know, the, the thinking, a little bit different with these three these three clubs this offseason, you know, with Mayfield, Allen, and Jackson. And so I think – so the, the way I looked at it was if you look at what Wentz and Goff would have earned if they didn't get extended, and it was just the full five years, including that fifth-year option, both guys made about $30 million more in cash um, via their extensions from the clubs as opposed to if they just let it play out. And so they yeah. now since moved on and traded them. So if you look at the Wentz trade specifically – you get a third round pick and a future. Well, now we know it's going to be a second, most likely. A third and a future second. Is that worth $30 million? If that's your worst case scenario, not the, not the worst, worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can kind of, you know, put that into your calculation and think it's, it's, it's okay. But the other side of the coin is why not take the risk? And if he does not, if he's Jared Goff, like, you know, you let him play his fourth year out. You probably still let him play his fifth-year extension out, but then you avoid that extra cost. You save two first-round picks. You could probably still get Matthew. St- you know, like you can still do what you did in other ways. Um, it's a fascinating conversation. I think honestly, not trying to be a cop-out. I think this is another scenario where like the GM has less power over this than we may think as fans and as analysts of this game. Um, you know, the owner could step in, in this situation and probably does from time to time, but. It is the it is the most interesting question in the NFL from a, a roster construction perspective, yeah. um, and I think a, a a daring team like potentially you know our, our Browns in Cleveland um, mm-hmm. could you know test it out and, and look if, if Baker's not good it'll look it'll look really smart and they can you know try to reinvest and find somebody else or, or you know, move up in the draft whatever it takes um, so it'll be interesting to see if it, if it plays out that way. Yeah, and you know just to put it in perspective, Baker isn't. He isn't the he wasn't the pick of of Andrew Barry. Like he's he's from the previous regime. And I'm I'm sure Barry, you know, is trying to trying to put confidence into his player, but you know, he, he's not he wasn't his choice. And so if Barry say like you know, if he liked to Josh Allen more, then you know, Baker could be on his way out. Uh so let, let's go into our final question. So this is for you specifically. To cap off this entire video, how optimistic are you about the Chargers future as a whole? And, you know, do you think that they could be Super Bowl contenders, let's say, in like the next five years? Yeah. So without trying to reduce football to your quarterback, it matters and nothing else matters, <laughs> which has entered the discourse a little bit at times mm-hmm. in our circles, yeah. um, which I understand. But it's I don't want to be that you know nihilist about roster construction. But but if, if Justin Herbert continues to play like he did last year or maybe even take steps further, I don't see how you argue the answer to that question is no. Um even understanding that, yes, the best team in the NFL or, you know, the best quarterback in, in Patrick Mahomes is going to be in your division for, you know, the long haul, um, you know, that, that obviously is a component of it. But if Herbert's good, um, they are going to be a consistent playoff team, barring, you know, catastrophic injury, which unfortunately is a, is a known reality <laughs> for the Chargers. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but yeah, like it, it's, it's hard to argue no, um, because I think, you know, what you're able to do, the, the, the cool thing with them is that, They've also spent already on, you know, your, your wide receiver is a very expensive position. Your edge rusher, you know, second most expensive position beyond quarterback. And then yeah. now, you know, you have the blue chip left tackle, also super expensive on the rookie deal. Like, 
if he's good, they can spend, and they don't need to spend on the most expensive positions in the NFL. They could just kind of add some depth or maybe add a good, you know, replace Chris Harris with a solid corner, but you're spending way less there than you are at other positions, stuff like that. So they're in a really good spot if he does take off. And then Brandon Staley, look, I'm, I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so I, I've followed Staley's career. Um, defense, obviously super unstable, but I think what he does is provide a, a pretty high floor. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he's so good. At, and like you said, this, this cover six, you know, Vic Fangio defense and, and all the different things they do. Um, I think what it, the, the most important component is like, even if you do lose a bunch of guys, you're not going to have a bottom 10 defense. I shouldn't say that it's possible, but like, it's not super <laughs> yeah. likely. Yeah. And as we know, if you have a top five offense and you have the 23rd defense, you can still probably, you know, make it, make it conference championship game. Um, mm-hmm. It makes things harder, um, but it's certainly possible. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, very possible. They also, you know, they're, like we discussed, they have a healthy cap situation and, you know, the free agents, they're, they're scheduled to lose. Yes, Mike Williams, top top 10 pick, good player, but not irreplaceable. Um, Chris Harris, stud corner, but pretty old at this point. Yeah. Um, and Linval Joseph is another one I, I wrote down. Good player, but, you know, no, no stuffing interior defensive lineman you can also find. So they're in a very healthy spot. Um, and I think this draft class, too, like if, if you know, if Asante Samuel takes a step, if Josh Palmer kind of can make, maybe – convince you Mike Williams is you don't need to pay him a ton of money. Um, I mean, the sky could really be the limit again, outside of the fact that the chiefs are, you know, your division. Rival. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I, that's a great point. And um, you know, I've been to a couple of the chargers camps uh, like in the first week, Palmer's looked really good. Asante has been, you know, rotating in with the one. So if everything comes together, I think you're right in the fact that we should be super bowl contenders since we have pretty much, blue chip players locked up and we have players who are supposed to be paid at uh, the most at, okay, sorry, I, I phrased that wrong. We have players at expensive positions on rookie deals. And so I think going forward, um, health is number one. We, we hired a, a director of sports performance for the first time. So entering that sports science field, I think is really, is a really uh, good step, a step in the right direction. Um, hopefully we see some positive regression when it comes to injuries. You know, at PFF, our, uh, my guy Tedge did a great study on whale, like the war adjusted injuries lost. And so, you know, it's pretty unstable from year to year. So the Chargers have kind of been in that bottom to middle, um, below average in, uh, from 2014, I believe, which is when our in- injury database goes back to. So hopefully we see some uh, positive regression there. And I think what everyone wants is just a healthy Derwin James going into week one. So Brad, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was gonna, I was gonna finish off, but if you, if you want to add a point in about Derwin James, I was just really quickly. I know injuries are pretty random, but if you've never had a director of sports performance and you didn't have the resources dedicated to that, like it's, it will make a difference. Yeah, yeah, we saw that. We saw that with Philadelphia when they first hired um, Chip Kelly. They brought in a Navy guy, and he, they were immediately one of the best teams in terms of like staying healthy. So yeah, Brad, I, I really want to appreciate you, you know, taking time out of your busy day to come speak to us, uh, speak to me, especially um, if you want to plug any of your socials, your Twitter, you know, where we can find you, what company, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad, um, you know, like, like you said at the top of the show, talking, you know, contract, salary cap, trades, really anything, um, you know, uh, about all, all 32 teams and, and definitely high on the Chargers. So if, if that helps at all, come check out the page, you know, I'm high on the Chargers. Uh, and yeah, and obviously we, we, uh, we both work at pff.com now. So um, I'm, I'm trying to put out as good content as are you not, maybe not, but I'm trying. Um, yeah. So uh, check out my articles and, and whatnot there. Yeah. 
All right, guys, that's going to wrap up the episode. If you want to see any more content related to this, make sure to leave a comment. And with that, as always, Volt up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.